Hello, hello, and welcome to the Noisy Hadger podcast. This is episode 12. It is Sunday, the 7th of May. It's coronation weekend. Charlie has been crowned, and isn't that lovely? Um, genuinely have no opinions either way. You know how everyone really seems to have opinions on the royal family. I think I used to when I was younger on principle, but it's very easy to have a lot of opinions on principle with no practical understanding of how, you know, any of those principles would map out. But I'm like, yeah, great, crack on, whatever. Don't don't really care either way. Uh, but I'm being bombarded by TikTok with lots of raw content because even though I don't really care, obviously I like to look at the outfits and there's the gossip side of it and all that kind of stuff which I won't seek out but when it's put in front of me as the TikTok algorithm does I can't help myself so now it thinks that's all I care about so yeah I'm gonna have to start whispering about other topics into it it was literally just because I had the coronation on well I had it after he'd been crowned I can't remember what part I was watching um but just before we got in the carriage I think I don't know what happened there uh, yeah, and just because that was on TV, I think TikTok was like, guess what, you're going to get on your feed all day and you won't help but watch it because TikTok knows me too well and it appeals to my lowest self, I think. <sighs> Which is why I don't get anything done. And sometimes I'm like, why don't I just give in and be one of those people that shamelessly loves celeb gossip and judgy, nasty stuff? Why can't I just be that person? And I am that person, but um, not as much as I would be if I immersed myself in that stuff. Does that make sense? Anyway, I don't know. Penny Mordaunt's outfit was obviously very lovely. She looked very cool. And Kate looked nice. I wasn't paying attention, but yeah, they're, they're, I did notice all the outfits. Anyway, yes, that's nice. Another another day off, because apparently we are, it seems like the laziest nation on earth. Uh, is that what, nine bank holidays this year? Ten? I don't know. Um, three in one month. Plus all the holiday we get anyway. So I'm not complaining. And I'm very happy to be in a normal job for once. And um, and actually get paid to take time off. What else has been going on? I gigged yesterday. That was good. Good fun. Gigged yesterday and I'm gigging tonight again. Um, I'm remembering how it messes with my sleep. So one of the reasons I stopped gigging was after my ADHD diagnosis and I was trying to create a bit more sort of stability and predictability in my life, which is not easy. So I stopped singing and managed to, yeah, I'm on like a 6am wake up time, usually 6, 6.30 and I'll be in bed at about 10. But yeah, after last night, I came home, you've got all this adrenaline rushing through you even though you've had like an, I've had like an hour's drive afterwards to hopefully, you know, settle down after being on stage, but it takes much longer than that. So I didn't get to bed until two, woke up about eight. Um, so I'm going to try and make myself wake up at, it'll probably be seven o'clock tomorrow I wake up at. But yeah, it was a fun gig. It was a, a very lovely, um, middle upper middle class house. Like they owned it, you know, it could have been a private wedding venue. Um, but I think it was their house and we played in the marquee in the garden 
one of those sickeningly nice couples, a really awesome bride. She got up on stage and sang and I sang and I felt quite felt quite good and easy singing, although I listened back to myself. I'm, I'm glad I do film it because I watch it back and I think, oh, that's terrible. Some of it is really, really bad technique. Like I was singing Ain't Nobody and I noticed before every line, so I go, ain't nobody loves me better. Instead I was going, oh, ain't nobody, oh, loves me better, oh, makes me, it's like just really terrible. So, um won't do that tonight and that was in Surrey last night or very East Surrey and tonight I'm very West Berkshire so just an hour's drive it does mean I missed the Formula One and I was thinking oh I'll watch the Formula One in the afternoon and then go but it's in Miami so it won't be until nine o'clock tonight so I might watch it on stage because it's quite easy to do just set up your set up your phone no one no one's paying any attention so it's fine but yeah I didn't get to sleep till two because I was I got I got in at 11 like quarter past 11 should have just forced myself to get to sleep but I got stuck on my phone watching clips of me singing and criticizing myself and um putting Instagram posts and wondering why Instagram unsyncs all the audio I don't know why it does that but it does it on lots of videos and then just went to sleep full face of makeup um, at like two in the morning. So uh, a bit tired. Should have had a nap actually today. But we went to, <laughs> we went bowling today and I'm terrible at bowling. Did bowling and pool at the um, the bowling arcade in town, which was new and qu- it's really quite good. So, so there we go. That's been my Sunday. And I will start getting ready in about half an hour. And then drive to Berkshire, yeah, do some warm-ups and hopefully have a good night's sleep tonight. What else did I do? I did aqua aerobics yesterday. I don't know if ever, anyone's done aqua aerobics, but it sounds, it is exactly as it sounds. You imagine a room full of, let's call them shapely women in uh, in swimming costumes in a pool and there's... 70s and 80s music playing and they're all flapping around doing weird moves and that is exactly what it was but it was so much fun so (laughs) I'm going to be booking aqua aerobics every week it's really good for my knee as it's recovering and they have these cool water weights like water dumbbells which yeah you sort of you're punching underwater basically but it really feels like you're punching weights so yeah, I'm at that age where aqua aerobics is is the exercise I get. I used to do deadlifts. I used to do, re- I used to be quite strong, and uh, clearly, clearly I'm not now. And this is the sort of exercise I do. But I, I'm hoping I will get better and better because I just I miss being strong. I used to really love feeling fit, but constant ankle injuries just threw me out of my routine because I used to play netball all the time I was like I played netball three times a week when I lived down in Sussex and I did um, strength training twice a week and I remember it was watching Nicole Scherzinger in Cats she has a seven minute bit in Cats and um or had and I saw her and she looked fucking amazing because her body is ridiculous and that literally made me work much harder when I did my strength training (laughs) I need to look like Nicole Scherzinger perfectly attainable goal and anyway so I did aqua aerobics and that was fun I did actually need to go to the gym today but there is no time anymore we'll go tomorrow uh yeah 
that's that's all I've been up to. Had well, had a fairly good week at work, I think. Had a couple of meltdowns over the last couple of weeks, but last week went much better. Can't remember what I was. Oh yeah, that was it last week on last week on here. I was talking about uh, men, wasn't I? And how I don't know how to deal with men and adapting myself to people. All these micro changes. And I talked about uh, tapping, didn't I, as well. I've got, got more tapping in a couple of weeks. So I don't want to be as... Because uh, I, I know I probably sounded quite uh, depressy and low last week. Quite pensive. Uh, which I always am. But in a... This week, kind of an exhaustion of worrying thoughts at the moment. And sometimes I just think, if I had just carried on with the ADHD meds, like if I just persevered and let my body adapt to them, but I get scared, I really do. I don't, like medication is, it's never sat comfortably with me, which is silly. Um, like the principle of that is very silly, I know. But then it's kind of my body and I know sort of how it feels and I think I'm generally fairly healthy. I eat well and, you know, I'm not, my lifestyle isn't terrible. And there's something about taking medication that it just affected me in so many ways. Like I had a bit of blurry vision when I was on a certain type of meds, of ADHD meds. And my heart rate went like crazy. And I just thought, oh, I don't know. Is it ultimately what I'm doing? Like, yes, it's kind of calming your thoughts down. Although it wasn't with this dexamphetamine, it was making you super super uh, hyper focused um but it just doesn't feel like life you know uh so i don't know that's a silly way to look at it and i know the way we talk about mental health now it's like oh well you wouldn't tell someone to get over a broken leg you'd make them go to the doctors and it's like yes but but this is very important to me the way we talk about mental health you can't diagnose mental health problems the same way you can see a broken leg so where does the line between our personality and our mental illness where where is that and when do we class spates of mental illness when is that something you have to treat with medication do we accept that this is just a phase in your life that you go through if you're sad or suffering or you know it's just it's just very very interesting to me that we have so many medicated people and I'm not anti-medication of course I'm not but diagnosis is so um subjective because so much of it is is you're diagnosing yourself and we all want a quick way to success right we all want we all want the pain to go away we all want an easy way out and that's what I really thought medication would be for me and it wasn't because it just had loads of side effects um I actually did a I recorded a load of videos while I was taking the medication which I sort of wanted to put into a properly edited video diary so that, you know, I could share it with people who were considering taking the medication. But it had it had a lot of side effects. And, and those side effects, they're not necessarily terrible in their own right, but they make you worry more. And yeah, I had, yeah, my vision wasn't great and stuff, which was a big thing. I did lose weight. I think I've talked about this before. I lost weight. But the other elements, you know, I don't know. I wanted the medication just to kickstart things and it did really help. So actually medication got me through a bit of a slump and then I got a job and was able to try and sort of have a bit more routine in my life. Although 
working from home is very difficult. <laughs> Hybrid routine is not really routine for me, but I'm, I'm slowly getting there. It, it feels like I'm doing what everyone did in their early 20s where they're sort of getting to know how they work best. It's like, oh, I'm doing it at 37. But yeah, anyway, the idea of like ADHD medication for me, I was, it's like, what even is my personality? Which I know is what people are worried about when it comes to meds and stuff. You think, oh, will I, will I still be me? Will I still feel like me? And honestly... I don't know <laughs> for me it's hard to know it was worse the worst part of it was there so little done on PMT or PMS or PMDD where it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder or premenstrual syndrome ADHD is affected by PMS and my psychiatrist when I told him um at the end of my, my trying out the drugs when I told him about oh yeah you know it I probably don't need it the rest of the month, but actually just for my period, it's it helps. Um, I was saying it, you know, because I have PMS. And he was like, what, what's that? What's that? PM? And he, like, he was like, what's that? Post-menstrual? I was like, are you fucking insane? Like, you shouldn't be treating women if you don't know about something affecting them for a third of their life or a quarter of their life. It was fucking nuts. Anyway, why am I talking about ADHD meds? Oh, yeah, because the worrying thoughts. That's been this week. Ah... <sighs> I had a thought as well, because when I did this podcast with, um, my book podcast with Jacob Hawley, we talked about, he said, we're a generation obsessed with identity. And that thing has really stuck with me. We're a generation obsessed with identity because of our social media profiles. So we are the first generation, millennials, to say who they are in a very public facing, on a very public facing platform. And we're encouraged to do this to define ourselves in a way that we'd never had to do before. No one's ever had to do that. You would do it case by case. So be like, oh, you're going for this job. So say you're this, that and the other. But now it's like, oh, your LinkedIn profile has to say who you are. You can't change that for every employer because they're all looking at the same thing. Although that would be a very good dynamic um, feature, by the way, LinkedIn. So depending on who's looking at your profile, they get to see a slight tweak anyway patent that obviously uh full of the good ideas but yeah people never used to give themselves labels the way we give ourselves labels and I think that's so unfair we've been kind of forced as a generation like who are you who are you who are you in a way that I think in the past well you know philosophers were wondering why we're here rather than who we are it was why are we here and doesn't that it's just so superficial isn't it when you think of who am I what we mean is, what do I want other people to perceive of me? Which is very different. And actually, you know, if you if you ask yourself why I'm here, and if you find an answer that meets kind of, you know, that makes sense to you, that kind of answers the next bit of who am I? Because it's like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing in my life. Um, But if you're having, like the way we've been raised is, you know, millennial, millennials online, it's all how do people perceive you which is probably why we're all so fucked in the head because <laughs> we are we've become obsessed with how we are viewed it's a very important subject actually now i think about it i should probably research it oh so lovely listener that sigh was when i stopped recording yesterday because i suddenly felt i had no idea what to talk about um 
And I think it's because when I get on a subject that I find really interesting, I realize I know absolutely nothing about it. And if I was spending a good amount of time researching this and producing it, I would actually, you know, spend a good few hours looking into subjects and being like, oh, here's what I found and here's some thoughts on it and, you know, include discussions and stuff. But probably don't really have the time every week because, um, I, you know, I, it would be taking away from time on my phone, which is obviously very important to me. Uh, yeah, so that's where I got to yesterday. It's now Monday, bank holiday Monday. It's been raining all day. I did not go to the gym, as I said, but I did uh, did go to my gig last night. That went uh, very well. Um, did correct a couple of the stylistic things I'd noticed uh, with with singing a few songs. Um, and yeah, it felt good to be good to be back on stage. And I was home. Goodness, I was home by eleven forty forty five, something like that. And I think I was in bed by one, so it wasn't too late at night. So I should be fine to have a normal night tonight, and then up at up at six again tomorrow and catch up on all the work I should have done last week. <laughs> so, um, what else is there to talk about? Quite a few things. Lots of things were around my mind, as I've said. Um, and yeah, we're talking. You know, I was talking about. Um, the self and this obsession with finding an external label and external validation and how everything feeds into that. So I was having a chat with someone a few weeks ago and they were, you know, they're quite low um, about about their life. And it was very, it felt very ego based. And I don't mean this in a negative sense. I just mean, you know, um, it was quite status based. It's that what am I doing with my life, which is, I think, inherently, I mean, it's not inherently ego driven because uh, like I said, it can be purpose-driven. If you're not doing something meaningful, then obviously you'll question that. But it's, I, I think for many people, it can be, you know, it's that how do I look to the outside rather than am I spending every day happy or doing things that I enjoy or, you know, I mean, I'm connected to people in society or whatever. Um, and I, I remember saying to them, I was like, you feel like this, you feel inadequate because you're a millennial. We were literally raised, I think, working class state school millennials, especially, uh, but everyone, I think, across the board because of the technology boom. But we were raised to think we were special. We were. And then we get blamed and called like all oh, snowflake generation and all this sort of thing. But it's like we really were. Tony Blair created this stupid, I think I've gone on about this before, this stupid uh, target, this 50% university target. Um, we were bombarded with um, make you a star kind of programs. And they've always existed. You know, talent shows have already existed. People forget Ella Fitzgerald became famous. You know, her big break was on a talent show. Um, you know, and a lot of the stars we see, they've all done that sort of thing. And we forget that for many, it can be a step in their career rather than, um, you know, it, it, rather than make or break it. Um, but yeah, we were bombarded with these noughties, late 90s noughties programs um, that were all about you can be an overnight success. You're meant to be successful as, at the same time as creating this idea about being discovered. You had to be discovered. Um, and the images we were uh, fed were of very... I mean, you had the you had a lot of like the crazy characters and very outgoing ones, but they were laughed at. The ones that were successful kind of didn't know they were good singers which is insane of course they knew but their personas were very sort of deserving uh, you know they were having their lives changed 
by these um, powerful judges, you know, um, who could validate them. And um, while at the same time, you know, feeding women especially horrendous ideas, you know, about body image and self-worth and blah, blah, blah. Actually, just the other day I saw a clip of, do you remember Kim? Uh, Kim Marsh, not remember her. I think she's still like an actor. Um, but yeah, she was, you know, being told to lose weight. And she was a, you know, normal sized woman, probably a 10, 12 or whatever. Um, and she would have been no more than mid 20s, which we all thought was old. Because remember, there was that over 25 category a bit later in X Factor. Anyway, it was on Popeye, uh, Pop Stars, Pop Stars, the rivals. No, Pop Stars, original Pop Stars. And when Hearsay um, were the first band that were put together. And, and yeah, Kim Marsh is being told she's too fat. And they openly scrutinized men and women about their weight and their look um and we just accepted it so yeah anyway um that's kind of on a on a tangent but yeah this idea of being a millennial and we did think we we didn't necessarily think we were special i think we thought we had to be special otherwise what was the point of us if you wanted to break away from whatever your background was you had to be a star you had to be interesting you had to fit a certain mold but also be yourself which was ridiculous that was what they were telling us oh I just want to see your personality but also make sure you tick x y and z boxes um so yeah very very unhealthy times and and that obsession with who who we are how do people perceive us definitely started in the 90s obviously it's always been there but I think the fact that we really really internalize it. I think the fact that a whole generation have been raised to believe you know to believe they're not really worth anything if they're not like a star or whatever and not all of them obviously some people don't want to be stars some people can you know it terrifies them but those of us who might have been a bit more extroverted or um you know in creative fields or whatever I don't know I could uh Again, could look into this, but I think that's probably, like I said, that's probably why I stopped chatting yesterday because I was like, oh, what the fuck do I know? And that is how I feel <laughs> most of the time. I sort of always feel like I'm on the edge of an interesting point, but I don't have time to learn each thing thoroughly enough. Um, so rather than just looking into a bit and committing it to memory, I, I don't do any of that, which is definitely a dad, my dad's trait of uh, having lots of opinions, but never reading a single book on stuff and I'm trying not to I'm trying not to do that oh anyway yeah why do I do <laughs> why do I do this um like I'm so aware that I get I've been so distracted obviously by lots and lots of different things that I'm like oh well I unless I can commit seven months to this there's no point in um following up the idea but I could just read a book um I'm also still of that. I remember being asked about Wikipedia on my for my Cambridge interview. Obviously, didn't get through, but um, yeah, I talked about Wikipedia as like a source of information, and um, I wish I'd backed myself more because um, yeah, the interviewer, the his, uh, the history professor, was like, "Oh, so why is why do you use Wikipedia? Why do you think that's a good source?" Blah blah blah. And I'm like, mm, it's kind of the only source now, <laughs> um, kind of the most important one. Yeah, we were all like worried that we'd get done for cheating or something by looking up stuff on Wikipedia. But yeah, it, it links to the sources. What was my point of that? Don't know. 
yeah no i think i think it's because so that sense of oh this isn't real research as well if you're not reading a proper book we definitely had that even though my whole most of my friends and peers at uni we got all our grades um all our degrees were based on wikipedia articles and obviously there's just that classic thing of it's the dopamine i want to find out about something for a very short amount of time and then i get distracted by a new shiny thing (sighs) man i remember just spending so many hours not doing the thing i was meant to be doing at uni uh I think I went into a library, went into the library. So we had the Morn Library on Chancery Lane, which was open 24 hours. And I went there at like nine o'clock at night. And it was probably two days before a paper was due in, like a 2000 word essay. And I spent my whole night Googling and researching different universities I could go to or like where I could do a, a master's at. I remember thinking, oh, I could go to Dublin, I could do this, that. And I just spent 12 hours not doing the thing I'd gone to the library for. It is insane that no one ever mentioned ADHD to me. Just not one person. Just bizarre, really. Anyway, um, so maybe maybe i keep a book maybe i have a book see this is all it's like it's like distractions within distractions to help me research the things i'm interested in do i keep a book of things that i want to look into and then i can buy a book or or buy an audible book and you know dedicate once a week maybe i do that because at the moment my life just seems very very oh i would love to have just very consistent interests and i know that's not me fine but what happens is I do, I do just end up on my phone. I, I, I will just stay on my phone and... Uh, should I throw it away? That's the main thing. I mean, I've been thinking of this for about three years. I started listening to um, a book called Digital Minimalism. I was listening to it on Audible and I was really getting into it. But then I think the sample was the author reading it and then it switched voices and I couldn't stand the new voice, so I stopped listening and got a refund. Um, which is pretty bad, isn't it? I don't know why I didn't like the new voice. Uh, they should give you a few voice options. <laughs> it's probably a bit silly. But some people don't like certain voices. Uh, anyway, yeah, digital minimalism. He um, sort of starts off talking about um, the different ways that people clearly try to get off their phones knowing that they should get off their phones but just all of these ways don't work for example you know trying to have a 33 10 instead of which I have two now um, I was speaking to uh, my osteopath actually who uh, I don't know if he's diagnosed but he definitely sort of there's many ADHD traits and he has literally that tried the same things with his phone use that I have so kind of nice to know I'm not alone and also speaking to uh, one of the band yesterday, I was like, I bet there is no way, there is no way you spend more time on your phone than I do. Absolutely no way. I was honestly sure that he wouldn't. And he does. He has a maybe similar, if not more, phone time. Um, and I'm going to tell you what my phone time has been this week. I really thought I'd cracked it with this Time Genius course that I did and clearly not. So my screen time... My daily average <laughs> last week was seven hours and 20 minutes. 
and 25 and a half hours of that was on social. Five hours was travel, so we can discount that. That's Google Maps. That's fine. Five hours was on utilities. I don't know what utilities it's classing as, but yeah. And I pick up my phone an average of 99 times last week. Oh my word. <laughs> it's, that is a lot of wasted life. That is a lot of wasted life. And it's also because I'm still I'm still in two minds. Do I go, I'm a social media user, just keep creating content, like do it. Because the reason I stopped creating content was because I knew I had to get off my phone. I had to get off TikTok. But it didn't stop me really for very long. Um, and yeah, every time, I think every time I stop as well, when I get back to it, I, I'm worse. And it is an addiction. Maybe that's what I talk about next week or look into. Maybe I should read a book on addiction. I should, shouldn't I? So not just like, you know, phone addiction, but actual what are the what are the key uh, characteristics of an addicted personality? Addicted person, addictive personality. I always find it weird when people call it addictive personality because I used to think it meant that people really liked your personality. <laughs> just it couldn't just be me. It should it should be that you should have an addictive personality should mean that other people like your personality rather than you're likely to be addicted to things anyway so quoi d'autre we've gone on for nearly 30 minutes and I haven't said much it's basically just a a reminder of things I should look into <laughs> at some point work tomorrow Lots to do. Um, so I did actually start looking at like f uh, philosophers, you know, from when I said we, you know, philosophers used to talk about why we're here. And um, I realized I don't actually know what any philosophers think. I can't, yeah, I can't remember anything I've been taught about, you know, philosophers' theses or theories. Um, like Nietzsche, for example, or Nietzsche. Nietzsche. How do you pronounce it? I don't know. I'll do it the American way. Nietzsche. Uh, his views, according to ChatGPT, views are complex and multifaceted. There we go. And his philosophy does not lend itself to a straightforward answer. It's like, try, chat, try. He argued that tra the traditional belief in the transcendent realm or afterlife was a form of escapism from the challenges and difficulties of this life. I agree. In contrast, he also believed, I don't know why, okay, he also believed that life should be embraced in all its complexities and struggles rather than being seen as a mere preparation for an afterlife. Okay, if we embrace the complexities and the struggles, that's very good advice. You know what I like about like philosophers and stuff? Because when you boil it down, it could just be like something that a really good dad would tell their kid, you know? Oh, mate, you should just like embrace it. Just don't, don't worry about it. Don't shy away from it. Uh, and yet we read these books and oh yeah, we should really embrace the struggles. Which at the same time is weird because it's, okay, maybe I understand why they're saying in contrast because it's saying afterlife is an escapism from the challenges. So you therefore have to embrace the challenges, but also traditional religious belief is that you do face the challenges and the struggles. You just believe that God will help you get through them. So, especially if we're talking about how religion has been, you know, preached to working classes. It's all like, you know, pay your pay your tithes as they used to do. 
uh, do homage to the king, just paints for the king. And I trust that the king is, you know, the, in the divine right of kings and all that kind of thing. Um, and also work really hard and struggle. So, yeah. So it's not, it's not that, yeah, it doesn't really differ in that way. But yeah, ultimately, I think, I don't know, I just think working class religious people did both, didn't they? They embraced the struggles and then they were like, but it's okay because I'm going to go to heaven. Uh, ultimately, Nietzsche believed that the meaning of life was not something that could be found or discovered. Very helpful. Why fucking bother? <laughs> Spent all this time. But rather something that had to be created through one's own efforts. To be fair, ChatGPT is telling me this, so I don't know. And then obviously it gives me uh, four other... So I was like, what were the great philosophers? <laughs> but also you don't just want philosophers, you kind of want political thinkers as well because they have really good ideas about society and all that thing, I seem to remember. I don't know. Jean-Paul Sartre, personally prefer Gautier, but there we go. Uh, Sartre believed that the meaning of life was to create one's own meaning, okay, <laughs> through authentic self-expression and choice. Right, okay, so we go for authentic self-expression and choice, cool. In a single line, Nietzsche is believe that each individual must create their own meaning through the exercise of their will to power. Fine. Of their will to power. Is that... That means something. Will to power. That's a pop group. And a book, obviously. Will to power, meaning... Learning everything. The will to power is the continual effort to overcome which means overcoming obstacle, obstacles that get in one's way and overcoming oneself. Okay, so we're all, we're all talking like, get on with it. Kant. Kant believed that the meaning of life was to achieve moral perfection. Okay, he's a little bit, nah, that's a bit too far really. By living according to the categorical imperative, which requires treating other people as ends in themselves rather than mean, merely as a means to our own ends. Okay, so that's just don't be a dick. Plato believed that the meaning of life was to achieve knowledge of the eternal and unchanging forms or ideas that underlie the visible world. He saw this as a difficult but ultimately attainable goal that would bring enlightenment, enlightenment and happiness. Okay. Well, we have some, a saying in, in Islam which is seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. Very important. And because I knew that quote, I believed that's how I was living. And then Aristotle believed that the meaning of life was to achieve eudaimonia which he often translated as happiness, which can be understood as flourishing or well-being. Um, according to Aristotle, eudaimonia is achieved through the cultivation of virtues such as courage, wisdom and justice. I'm seeing a lot of being strong and brave here. So I like Sartre, really. Authentic self-expression and choice. Now, obviously, because they're all men, I decided I would Google female philosophers and I came across this article, which is uh, really well written. And I like the the intro paragraph, but the title, the headline is Nine Women Philosophers to Inspire You in 2022. Oh, God, I just I hate I hate what has become of our culture, um, our global lowest common denominator Let's celebrate diversity in the most weirdly patronizing, fluffy, sugar-coated, disingenuous way. Ugh. Like, just 
just write an article on philosophers and just make sure you include relevant philosophers. And that is not the same as saying we shouldn't uh, like challenge ourselves because everyone has natural bias. And yes, I've more than most people have been raised to respect a man's opinion over a woman's. Um, but I just, I don't think it, um, I don't think it helps women take themselves seriously. And we can just be like, oh, I'm writing an article on philosophers. And I know it's all SEO because they know that people like me will Google women philosophers because when you Google other philosophers, it only comes up with men. So we therefore have to search for women philosophers to get women philosophers. Yes, I get it. Nothing, it's not easy. Nothing makes sense. I just... I don't like it, but uh, we are where we are. Anyway, this article is written by, um, it's on The Good Trade and it's written by a woman called Emily Torres. And I really like the intro is obviously about how all the required reading on college courses was like the main, uh, the men philosophers uh, like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so she goes into, she has a nice little um, intro bit and talks about Phil Peoples, find a philosopher tool to help expand your thinking, which I might actually look up. Maybe I'll do that. I will do that. Um, not now. And then she lists, uh, yeah, these female philosophers, only one of whom was born before 1895. <laughs> Hypatia of Alexandria. Never heard of her, but she was she was big on maths and astronomy. Good for her. Not astrology. <laughs> uh, no, astronomy. And uh, but she was. And I think this is a lesson to all of us. Uh, she was murdered for her teachings. So that's probably why no women touched philosophy, apparently, until um, something like, I don't know, the early 20th century. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Suzanne Langer, that's a big one to look out for. Loved uh, art, philosophy of mind, linguistic analysis. And uh, she proposed an inherent need in humans to find identify and ascribe meaning in the world around us Suzanne that is kind of what we would be reading your shit for <laughs> like is it philosophy when you're like yeah humans need to humans need to find meaning like I I thought that was what I thought that's what you were doing I probably don't understand the real word philosophy well I know philos I know philos because that's from that's a type of love so you have the three types of love according to uh, ancient Greek language and you have Eros, Philos and Agape. Agape was what Jesus was big on. Um, Eros is, you know, shagging love. And then you've got uh, Philos, Philos, which is like family love, I think. So let me just check what the actual, actual definition of philosophy is. Study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline, the study of knowledge. The study of the nature of knowledge, reality, the nature of reality and the nature of existence. Okay, fine. Anyway, Suzanne, would have been nice to know actually what the meaning of life is rather than humans need to have a meaning. But I know plenty that don't. I do know a lot of humans that don't. Like they have a motivation, which is very different. They have a motivation to live. But I know plenty of people who are actually very, very happy without a meaning for life. Sometimes wonder with all these things, is it is it real study or is it just this is how I want to live and this is why I live the way I live. And then people just write a whole book on it and say this is what humans need. This is why I don't read up on things enough. Uh, well, this is evidence 
of how ill-educated I am these days. I thought education stopped. Apparently it carries on. I just decided not to keep learning. Anyway, we've got Iris Murdoch. Good. She explores how through self-criticism and in self-exploration, altering our perception of a personal situation can change our moral behaviour. I mean, that is fair enough. That's the kind of, you know, um, it's not you, it's me. A very good guiding principle. But also, I don't know anyone, well, any woman who struggles to self-criticise. <laughs> that's um, that's never been my problem. In fact, I think, I think I'd do well to just stop thinking. I think, I don't need to know myself very well anymore. You know, I, I keep thinking, oh, I could, if I could just, like, I've got to a point where I, I thought I knew myself quite well. I thought I knew how I respond to situations and all this kind of thing. But I feel like I'm back to square one lately. Um... And that just anything I've learned about myself has actually been bullshit. And uh, it's, you know how we go, we think we know ourselves, but actually we're telling ourselves an ideal story, an ideal version of the person we want to be. And we go, oh yeah, I'm really like this. It's like, no, 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 you want to be like this. Um. Anyway, I'm at the point of like giving up. Just like, you know what? I don't, I don't need to know this person anymore. She's, she's going to change in two years anyway. What's the point? <laughs> anyway, I've got a few more. There's probably no point in me going through these philosophers but I can tell you that they are all 20th and 21st century living women so um oh we're alive in the 20th century or the 21st so yeah because you because you get murdered if you think basically so let's not let's not do it right well this has been another rabbity rambling thing which I'll probably end up saying at the end of every episode but uh Curtis made me come in here and do this because I uh Otherwise, I'd leave it until tomorrow and I know tomorrow I'm going to be busy. So well done me for anticipating what future Ange needs to do. <sighs> I'm going to go and attempt to make a paella. So wish me luck. I'm sure paella is meant to be made with Asda's own brand chorizo. So let's give it a go. Thank you for listening and I will chat to you next week. Bye.